When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. The news from Korea. On Sunday, the South Korean government said that North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, said he would abandon his nuclear weapons if the United States agreed to formally end the Korean War and promise not to invade his country. For comment, we turn to Bruce Cummings. He's written many books, including The Korean War, A History, and North Korea, Another Country. He writes for The Guardian, The London Review of Books, and The Nation, and he teaches at the University of Chicago. Bruce Cummings, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's start with a little history. Why did North Korea develop nuclear weapons? Well, the U.S. put nuclear weapons into South Korea in 1958. Uh, Honest John missiles. Uh, a couple years later, nuclear landmines uh, that weigh about 60 pounds and can actually be put in a jeep and carried around deposited north of Seoul, that kind of thing. And so I think ever since the U.S. uh, put hundreds of nuclear weapons into South Korea, the North Koreans have tried to come up with a a deterrent. Uh, For decades, they've built underground. So they have about 15,000 facilities. uh, Almost their entire military is underground in caves, in mountains. Uh, It was their only recourse since they didn't have nuclear weapons. Uh, George H.W. Bush removed all battlefield nuclear weapons uh, from around the world in 1991, including Korea. But every president uh, kind of prides themselves on sending B-1 nuclear-capable bombers along the Korean coast. Obama did it many times. Trump has done it. And uh, Trident submarines are also... They're basically... uh, uh, killing machines that could wipe out North Korea in a few hours uh, with their nuclear weapons. So the North has always been trying to get a deterrent, and it it finally succeeded, busting off an atomic bomb in 2006, a very small one, and then doing a number of other tests. And, and last September, they detonated what uh, seems to have been a hydrogen bomb uh, way much larger than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. A little more history. Why was there a war in Korea in the early 50s? What was the Korean War about? The Korean War is 
one of the most vexed in, in our history in that if you look at uh, high school and college textbooks, it's, they just run it as Stalin telling Kim Il-sung to uh, invade in 1950. Uh, but the war had origins going back into the 1930s when Korea was a colony of Japan. And Kim Il-sung and his friends who set up the North Korean government in 1948 uh, fought the Japanese for a decade uh, as guerrillas in, in the, the most uh, forbidding circumstances imaginable in Manchuria, where winter temperatures get down to 40 below zero. And the Japanese, uh, after their fashion, uh, found Koreans to chased down Kim Il-sung. Allegedly, they killed his first wife. And that set up a, a terrible nationalist dynamic in Korea after the Japanese left, whereby uh, you had the Soviet-supported regime in the North made up of former guerrillas uh, and the American-supported South with the entire uh, army high staff or command uh, being people who fought with the Japanese. Americans never understood this dynamic. Uh, they posted the very man who tried to kill Kim Il-sung in the 1930s to command the 38th parallel uh, in the summer of 1949. So it, it was fundamentally a civil war, but because of it came at the height of the Cold War, it, it generally was never seen, at least not uh, by most Americans, as a, a war similar to the Vietnam War. But it it was a very similar war. And it it demonstrates how easy it is to get into a war. Truman, President Truman thought it would be over very, over very quickly when he sent American troops in in June 1950. And here we are today with uh, Justin Armistice holding the peace 65 years after the war, uh, the hot war ended. So what you're saying is that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg did not cause the Korean War by giving the Soviets the secret of the A-bomb, which was what was said in their sentencing. Uh, yeah, that's an absurdity, but the Rosenberg case is very important for understanding the Korean War because they were indicted right about the time it began in 1950, and they were executed uh, right about the time the war ended in 1953. Uh, and as a result, repression in the U.S. was terrible, the war was fought under censorship after the first a few months, uh, and you literally could go to jail for saying the wrong thing about the Korean War. Uh, even the New York Times, a uh, allegedly liberal newspaper, condemned uh, the first protests that emerged uh, against the Korean War. So it it's sometimes called the Forgotten War, but it really was a never-known war for most uh, Americans who lived through it on the home front. And let me add, just speaking as an American historian, the evidence is that Julius Rosenberg was a spy, but he did not give the secret of the A-bomb to the Soviets. Ethel was framed by the FBI in an effort to uh, pressure Julius, and her execution is uh, one of the uh, great uh, miscarriages of justice in American history. So moving, right. moving right along to the present, a little more background. How would you describe the regime in North Korea today? What's life like in the North for ordinary Koreans? Uh, well, it's a lot better than it was 20 years ago when they had a famine caused by about 40% of their arable land being flooded in, in kind of a tsunami, really, of, of rain. Maybe 600 to 700,000 people died 
our papers always say it was two million, but careful demographic studies have shown it was pretty awful, but not two million. Really, the economy fundamentally collapsed in the 1990s. Uh, their industries weren't working. Their energy regime uh, was gone. Uh, and then came the floods and, and the famine. Now their economy is actually good by North Korean standards. It grew about 4% last year. But Kim Jong-un uh, has uh, really tried to begin creating a, a middle class, at least in the urban areas, and especially Pyongyang. So there are, there are many markets now. People dress in, in a great variety of clothing, unlike the old proletarian clothing. A lot of people have private cars now. I was supposed to go to Pyongyang last September for uh, a visit. I haven't been there for many years, but I was prevented by President Trump's uh, embargo of all American travel to North Korea. Uh, however, a friend of mine went uh, last summer and said he was just flabbergasted by the changes in, in Pyongyang, uh, so much new building and new construction. And the South Korean President uh, Moon his overall scheme for North Korea is to reconcile with it, uh, not unify with it, but proceed with reconciliation and sort of rebuild the North Korean economy road by road, uh, bridge by bridge, uh, business by business. That That's really what's uh, behind this, and it's what's attracting uh, Kim Jong-un. It's not just the Trump administration that <clears throat> that's deeply skeptical about North Korean promises. The mainstream media uh, has been saying, you know, don't don't trust uh, trust King Jong Un. Uh, and when Secretary of State Rex Tillerson visited Seoul a year ago, he said North Korea has a history of violating one agreement after another, and it would be foolish to trust them now. I, I wonder if you agree. No, I don't. And uh, our mainstream media. Uh, including the paper of record, the New York Times, gets this stuff wrong all the time. The first major agreement uh, made in 1994 under Bill Clinton froze North Korea's plutonium, all of it, for eight years under U.N. inspection. The whole facility was sealed, closed-circuit cameras uh, all over the place. So they had no plutonium until 2002. And under the prodding of Kim Dae-jung, the South Korean president who came in in 1998 and started the reconciliation with the North, the Clinton administration moved to buy out North Korea's medium and long-range missiles. The general who ran the conglomerate making those missiles came to the White House in October 2000, uh, and Madeleine Albright uh, went to Pyongyang two weeks later to do this missile deal. But everybody's forgotten that because uh, the 2000 election ended up in the Supreme Court, and Five people decided George Bush would be president, and Bush came in uh, and did everything he could to mess up uh, our agreements with North Korea. Uh, I don't have time to go into all the details, but John Bolton and Dick Cheney in particular were determined to uh, not proceed with the missile deal uh, and to kill the uh, framework agreement that froze North Korea's plutonium. And the main reason they did this was that North Korea is not a threat to the United States, uh, certainly not then, uh, but it's a very useful foil for China, which Cheney and Bush and the others, of course, saw as a looming threat. Uh, so when North Korea blows off an atomic bomb or, or, or tests a missile, uh, we put more anti-missile batteries into the Far East. 
Uh, we try to weld together South Korea, Japan, and the U.S. in a tight alliance against China. Uh, and basically, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un and, and his father, Kim Jong-il, uh, in the early, early 2000s were uh, a very nice foil for what the Bush administration wanted to do. And, of course, Bush put them into the axis of evil. Yeah, uh, I, I really don't blame the North Koreans for moving in the direction that they did after 2002 because they were in the crosshairs uh, of the preemptive doctrine if, if the Iraq war had gone to a quick conclusion. So North Korea has said it will abandon its nuclear weapons in exchange for uh, an agreement with the United States that we will not invade. Seems like a great idea, but how do we get from here to there? What are the first steps? Well, when uh, General Cho, the fellow who ran their missile conglomerate, came to Washington in 2000, he signed an agreement with President Clinton that neither side, neither North Korea nor the United States, would have hostile intent toward the other. This was a solemn diplomatic agreement, uh, very much like what North Korea appears to want again uh, in 2018. And uh, the Bush people acted as if uh, it had never been signed, never been even written. I remember reading the North Korean press at the time, and they said, how is it that people can just tear up diplomatic agreements like that? Uh, I'm not, of course, suggesting that North Korea is faultless in all this, quite, quite the contrary. But the fact is, we already signed an agreement saying that we would not have hostile intent toward North Korea, which implies that we're not going to invade it or try to overthrow the regime. Right. What I'm skeptical about is what kind of an agreement we could give North Korea, what kind of a statement we could give them uh, that would convince them that we're sincere about it this time. I imagine it would have to come in the context of uh, diplomatic relations finally being opened uh, between Pyongyang and Washington, and guarantees uh, both by South Korea and the U.S. that that they would not try regime change uh, or, or to invade the North. How much can be accomplished by South Korea working with North Korea, and how much has to be the work of the United States and, I guess, China? Well, certainly China has to be a part of uh, ending the war in Korea and getting a peace agreement since it signed um, the armistice agreement, and South Korea didn't. There are only three signatories, China, the U.S., and North Korea. But I, I think that a, a real tension exists, uh, more hidden now than open, between Seoul and Washington. Uh, Moon Jae-in is very committed to moving forward quickly to reconcile with North Korea and help rebuild their economy, uh, get rid of their nukes, and so on. I, I think, uh, generally speaking, the foreign policy establishment in Washington agrees with John Bolton, who said that North, uh, South Korea is like putty in the hands of the North Koreans. Yeah. They think the South Koreans are rushing forward too quickly. Uh, a former high State Department official in the Obama administration said they're running off the, uh, the bridge or off the cliff like lemmings. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a kind of hidden aspect of this, and I think it's probably going to become prominent unless uh, Donald Trump somehow turns into a big supporter of uh, President Moon. Last question. If we get a treaty ending the Korean War, would you support giving Donald Trump the Nobel Peace Prize? No, I, I think uh, it would be much better to give uh, the Peace Prize to uh, President Moon and President Kim, or Chairman Kim. Uh, the North and South Koreans are doing much more 
to move this uh, peace process forward than Trump is. I mean, he was just a few months ago screaming that he was going to totally destroy North Korea. I actually don't think Trump has the slightest idea of uh, the nature of the Korean conflict, uh, how deep it, it, it has run, how long it has been going on. I'll just say this, if he gets the Nobel Peace Prize, then anything is possible. <laughs> okay. Bruce Cummings. Bruce, thanks so much for talking with us today. Nice talking to you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.